Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. This week at Conflict Managed, we welcome Dan Tacchini. Dan has been helping leaders bring some more magic into their teams for over 35 years. He has worked with executive teams from Interstate Batteries and ESPN to Smarty Pants Vitamins and Impulse Space, as well as with nonprofits like Homeboy Industries and Defy Ventures. Dan gives a no-fluff approach by helping transform leadership teams without any pixie dust, just courageous leadership, creative conflict resolution, and relevant restructuring. No conversation is too difficult, no situation too conflicted, because a leader with a vision cannot be held hostage by circumstance or history. Good morning, Dan, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning, Mary. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so delighted to talk with you today. It's not often that I get to spend time talking to somebody who does workplace conflict resolution, conflict resolution for a living. So I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's start like I begin all my podcasts. And will you tell us about the first job you ever had as a young person? The first job I ever had was a a young guy. I was just, I was young. I was hired by my grandfather to make his yard green. So he lived in Sebastopol, California. My grandfather was a um, an entrepreneur and he lived in this orchard. He was he built the first housing complex, you know, uh, kind of multiple houses, sat on it. I think he built it in 1937 and sat on it for about 10 years and moved his family in because they weren't it wasn't a thing then. But he had hired me. I told him I want. I asked him if I could. He would buy me a glove for Little League, and he said, "No, you got to go buy your own glove." And I said, "Well, I don't have a job." He's, I said, "Do you have a job?" And he goes, "I have a job for you. Make my make my yard green." So I went in there, and of course, I'm jacked. I'm excited. I'm down there every day. I'm mowing the lawn. I'm throwing, <laughs> you know, fertilizing it. And pretty soon, I kill everything. And I go. I go back after two weeks, and I ask him. He said he paid me a hundred dollars a month, which was unbelievable. You know, he's yeah. obviously being generous. I couldn't believe it. I thought, buy, I'm going to go, I'll buy a team with that thing. So I go back after two weeks and I ask him for my half to check. And he gives me a slap in the back of the head. He goes, what? I'm not going to, are you nuts? And I, I was shocked. So I go home, I'm crying. I talk to my dad. My dad calls my grandfather, comes back in the room. He slaps me in the head. I go, well, what, what are you doing, pop? And he said, uh, I go, I, I, I put my suitcase on the bed. I'm going to run away. He goes, you're going to run away. You know, you don't want to know why your your grandfather and I give you a slap in the head. I, I go, why? You guys are crazy. He said, look, he hired you to make the grass green. He didn't hire you to work hard. And, and you know, like that, and that was a big deal. He goes, he doesn't care how hard you work. He just cares that the grass is green. And that's what you're hired for. And that was a huge lesson for me to really understand what I'm getting hired for, and that my how hard I work or don't work really isn't the issue. The issue is get the result. So it made a huge difference. I'll never forget it. Was it's it's burned into my body. So wow, what an interesting lesson from your first job. Um, I don't know. Sometimes if I still have learned that lesson because <laughs> you know many of us are eager and we have this work ethic and we're just gonna arrange everything and we're gonna get all the stuff done and yeah. then we're not appreciated and we get burned out. And, and, and people give us correction or, you know, feedback. We think, oh, you don't appreciate how hard I've worked, but all they're trying to do is tune us, you know, to get yeah. what they actually wanted. Right. Absolutely. So That's, where did you go from your lawn care days as a young person? Well, I, I, uh, 
I had quite a checkered past. I mean, I um, my parents got divorced when I was young or when I was 18, but they fell apart. And my mother was a manic depressive schizophrenic. So a uh, pretty troubled childhood, uh, left home early, 16, uh, kind of in and out of the house and um, got involved, played sports, got involved with drugs in college, went out, dealt drugs, got, you know, should have been in jail, but didn't, thank God, but recovered. And uh, in the recovery, uh, started to do work with human performance. I, I, my mother was manic depressive schizophrenic, so I got involved early in what it, you know, how to communicate, how to communicate to her specifically. I was very intrigued with the way she would symbolize, and in as a young kid, started reading. Even though I went through all this turmoil afterwards, kept reading, and so that was my kind of my anchor to the real world. And and as I came out of that craziness some forty five years ago, I. I, you know, I was with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and she was a major support in that. And I got involved in working with, uh, in the human potential movement with an organization called LifeSpring. And, and, uh, and then went from there and studied a, a ton of, you know, basic coaching. I, I started a coaching company in 1982 called The Coaching Company. And <laughs> it was too early. I remember talking to the executives going, they would say, we're not athletes. I go, yeah, well, think about it. Great athletes, the first thing they do when they get on a team, they're assigned multiple coaches. And you're assigning people for hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as an executive. What kind of support do you give them? What kind of make another set of eyes or two? That's what we're here for. Yeah. And it was just a little too early. But um, I continued to do what I was doing, which I was training. I was doing all kinds of human resource training and doing that and then working the plug coaching in. So by the end of the 80s, right, going into the 90s, we were starting to coach and things were, you know, picking up for at least for me at that time. So, and so is that what you've been doing since the, the I, 90s? I, I do. Con no, I'm actually a consultant. I have a, a full service consulting company of partners. We do everything. We do. We do a lot of work with startups. We do uh, particularly in the tech space. We've been in that space quite a bit. Also in the direct consumer food space. Uh, we've done a lot of work with companies like you know Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. Done a lot of work with Jenny and her teams, and uh, done work with. Um, we started a company with Jenny, so I'm entrepreneurial at the same time. A lot of the companies we coach or or we consult with, which includes training, coaching, consulting. We work, you know, with uh, implementations, and we're usually called in when conflict arises, and that's what we specialize in. In fact, I think it's it's the portal it's the yellow brick road to success yeah tell us a little bit more about that the yellow brick road to success and conflict i agree i mean conflict is when i get called in because that's what i do um yeah. so 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 what does this mean to you so anytime if we're on a team you and me and we make a commitment to do something that's never been done before or that's rarely been done before it doesn't matter it's something we may have never done we're inevitably going to run into conflict. We're going to run into conflict about how to work with the team. Usually the internal conflict's much more uh, debilitating than external conflict outside the team. But you're going to run into both, right? Because we're try we're working to get something done, to have something happen. We're going to be engaging circumstances and different points of view. And conflict is going to arise, particularly if we're both committed to something, the same thing that we care about, and we have different ideas about how to get there, that's a, a natural for conflict. And it's going to, 
that's going to produce uh, an argument because you're going to argue for what you, the way you think it should look. And I'm going to argue for the way I think it should look. And, and the question then is, it, am I, you know, are we going to listen to each other for the benefit of what we want to get done, not for this to strengthen my political position or make myself look good or feel good or feel like I'm in control, that kind of thing. Although those things may be operating, they don't have to control the conversation that we're having as we're, you know, standing for what we are committed to. Yeah. I like That's what you, inevitable. Yeah. I like what you said, you know, conflict is inevitable. And insofar as you're going towards a mission, you're going to have it and conflict is normal and expected. And so because we know it's normal and expected, then we ought to prepare for it. You know, when we get earthquake insurance or some other car insurance, because it's likely that we're going to get in a wreck or that we're going to need it. And it's possible, depending on where you live in the country, that you're going to get have an earthquake. But with conflict insurance, getting preparing your toolbox and getting comfortable with those skills, it yeah, will happen. Yeah. It's inevitable and it's normal. And actually, it's good because yeah, if it's... you've got people going towards a goal that we want that conflict, we just want managed conflict instead of unmanaged conflict. It, well, that's such a great point, Mary. I, you know, if you're not willing to have conflict and you're going to squelch it, you're going to find that you have people on your team that aren't going to have much to say except yeah. for what you say. Mm-hmm. And and that's a that's a bad sign when your team's unwilling to speak up, they're unwilling to voice their opinion or give their you know point of view in a way that is supportive to the mission. Well, you you're going to be stuck, and you're going to get stuck because you won't have other eyes that are willing to voice what they're seeing because they're afraid of what could happen, right, to them or to their security or you know their position on the team, etc. So yeah. It's a very real, it's a very real dynamic, especially with very strong personalities that are leading. They can tend to send a signal that they're not interested in what other people think. I guess that's the bottom line. It's sort of that an open door policy. Come talk to me anytime, but everybody knows <laughs> do not do that. Right. And so we <laughs> about my opinion anytime. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I want to hear. I want to be challenged. And <laughs> we all know that's not really what they want. But I like what you said, the willingness to to have conflict, the willingness to be uncomfortable, the willingness to engage in these conversations. If you're not willing, you're going to have, I think, more pain and more oh, suffering. Yeah. And you're going to get drug under the bus. That's a lot worse than, you know, just dealing with, you know, short-term pain, long-term gain. That's what I'm after. Yeah. And most often or very often people will settle for the short-term gain and, take the long-term pain and they have no idea how that's impacting the other team members. People are seeing that what they can get away with pretty soon, they take up those habits and the culture starts to dissipate and silo, you know? That's one thing I like to do when I talk to people about conflict is a lot of times they want to talk about a specific instance, like if you're doing conflict, you know, if you're doing a mediation, which absolutely we can talk about that. But then there's this tendency to scapegoat. And so if somebody hasn't been showing up to work regularly for six months and you're very frustrated and they're not doing it and we want to say they're wrong for not showing up, well, be that as it may, how come it's been happening for six months? What's going on organizationally? So that we can actually uh, look at what's going on and put it in proper perspective so that we can all take steps to move forward and have a good environment. Yeah, you know, you, you bring up, a, that's a, a great point, because I don't think we like to stop and look at 
if I continue to do this, what's at stake? Like what's coming my direction? I found that if people are willing to look out and say, if I continue this current way of participating, of being with my team, what am I going to inherit down the road, right? Because every choice has a future attached to it. And and usually people don't want to do that because they don't like the discomfort of accounting for what they're actually sowing into the future of their organization. And, and it's actually that discomfort that motivates and creates the urgency to deal with conflict when it when it's just a tiny thing, you know. We have a I have a saying, it's called the my grandfather used to say, you can't explain your way out of what you behaved your way into. And he used to say, you know, Junior, when it's a shit or d'oeuvre, that's the time to eat it. <laughs> you know, when something comes to you and it, you know it's not right, you know there's something missing, you know there's a it's, it just smells bad. You're gonna, you're it's gonna be a problem. Well, rather than have that discomfort, many leaders choose to pass it off and wait, and it'll come back, but it'll come back as a sandwich, yeah. and then later <laughs> it's a two course meal, and pretty soon I've got a buffet. That's right. I say with conflict early, often, swiftly, justly. And yet we don't do it. And I think as conflict resolution professionals, it's really, you know, drawing people's attention to what we've been talking about, but really trying to think about the, the human. Why aren't people doing it? Why are businesses hemorrhaging money? They would rather basically throw money away and let alone damage people than deal with conflict. I mean, that's how difficult it is yeah. for people. Yeah, we had other, just a few weeks ago, we we you know we work at practicing what we preach, right? And a couple of weeks ago, we had a team meeting. We have a team meeting once a week and we go through our business and talk about what we're doing. Some conflict arose and we it was two opinions, both caring very much about what we were doing and very passionate about their opinions, which we welcome, right? As long as there's no, you know, you know, it's not about, you know, invective or anything like that. It's just about here's my opinion. This is why I think it. So there's a good argument going. Got pretty heated, and so I intervened and just kind of got clear about what each person was saying. And we, as we did, we worked it out. We came together, and in the process, it was interesting. We got done. Everybody was great, grateful that we had the conversation. We saw things none of us saw actually came to the service. But after the call, uh, I'll never forget our operations manager, who's pretty quiet and very efficient. We love her. She's unbelievable. Like she's like radar. She gets it done before you know you need to get it done. Anyway, she wrote this beautiful thing on Slack and said, I can't believe how great that meeting was. And, you know, for us, it was all uncomfortable. So for her, she goes, so uncomfortable, but so rewarding. She goes, I can't wait to talk to my husband because he's He's having the same issues at work, but nobody wants to talk about them. And I, yeah. you know, this was so helpful. And uh, yeah. I, it's it's a great way to create trust in the organization, even though it's uncomfortable, because people begin to trust that you're really committed to something bigger than just your position or your need to be right or, or how it's supposed to look to you. But you're really committed to the mission in a way that you're willing to, even though you might be the CEO, you're willing to sift through your own perspective to make sure that you're seeing the biggest possibility and acting on that rather than just, you know, uh, using your bias and your past experience and squelching other ideas that could innovate and, and really grow the organization. So. Yeah, absolutely. 
we need our leaders to be self-aware and that's a tall order, but so is leading the ship. That's a tall order. And, and so I know I've met a lot of leaders who I think genuinely believe, you know, in psychological safety and they genuinely believe, and I'm not the only voice I want to hear opinions. And yet I see how they lead. I see how their people respond to them. And yeah, I think it's very sad. It, it's sad for everybody because there's a lack of self-awareness of how the leader's actions are affecting others. I mean, we all need to be self-aware and really take that time to reflect on how I am responding to others and, and what my role is. But without that, you know, what the leader says one thing and does another, that's what we really want to see. We look at how they act, not what they say. It doesn't matter if we've gone through some employee-centric value proposition workshop and we've decided these are the values of how we're going to treat each other. It's how is it being lived out from the moment they walk in to the moment they leave, when they're on vacation, when they're sick, when their kid or mother has something going on, how are they actually living this out, giving permission for everybody else? To act yeah. that way as well. I mean, you you hit a you hit a what I found to be pretty congruent too, and yeah, working with teams. What would you what do you think it is? Like, what mindset do you think is tends to squelch the willingness to deal with conflict or in, explore and find out what's wanted and needed? Well, I think it is uh, you know a, a lack of psychological safety, which in a nutshell just means that. I don't feel like I can speak out without retribution. And so it's a lack of trust. Yeah, when I yeah, I always think about that because and because we've run across that and that does come up and I ask I say, well, why would you stay in the situation that you feel psychologically unsafe in? And and because that's part of the conflict, I think. Yeah. And and I th I think part of the conflict is just what do what what is it we settle for and then externalize right because i've what you said it, it's really common i mean mm -hmm. you're nailing you obviously done a lot of work in conflict because that's what happens and people will stay mm -hmm. in a situation where they're feeling unsafe or they're feeling like they can't speak up and they'll use stories like the stories i've gotten because i i can i'm completely with you on this are well i i don't have any other work i can do or i've got to support my family and and i i do i work with them i say look Maybe it's the same courage to speak up that it's going to take from you to go out and look for work where you feel you can really give yourself to it. Now, are you sure you can't create that here? Because that's there's a conflict conversation right there. Like, yeah. is your manager or your CEO, whoever it is you're working directly recounting to or feeling intimidated by, do they know? have you really exhausted the possibilities? And usually I can find a way to coach and, oh, because, you know, people are willing to go after things if they can see new possibility. And, you know, I, I'll never forget one of the things that opened my eyes. I did some work at Harvard and I was doing a class there and this, there was a gal and there was a researcher and she said, you know, she, she said, I've been doing some research and we've, we've had a project that we've been doing research on what it is that keeps people from engaging conflict or situations that are uncomfortable, if you will, and, and which sabotage or foil any project. And she said 87% of the time, 
that we've done the research, it's cognitive. It's what they're making up about the situation. Absolutely. And so we, we spend a lot of time exploring the way people think about a situation as much as what they're doing in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, conflict is in the head, right? It's There are objective things and behaviors that people are doing, but I internalize what that means. I can decide to say, oh, this person is acting inappropriately. I wonder what's going on with them. I wonder how I could support them. I could say, hey, I noticed you talked over me at this meeting. What's going on? Or yeah. I can choose to say, oh, my gosh, that person has it out for me. Oh, my gosh, that person only cares about themselves. It's the same action. But yeah. I am the one who is deciding what that means, right? And so what I love so much about this work is that it is first and foremost about personal empowerment. When yes. we're caught in a toxic situation or a conflict, we feel disempowered. And so we have to wait for them to apologize, them to fix it, the boss to fix it. Instead of saying, oh, I, there's so many different possibilities, but I've been I don't see them. I have these blinders on because I am in this disempowered position. So we get to go in and encourage and um, help yeah. people see new possibilities for them. Yeah. How, you know, we, we've been, I've worked on this. I have an AI I've been working on. It's more than just chat. GPT has got a m multiple bots, but we're just getting ready to launch it. And part of it is helping people find language mm -hmm. to frame their discomfort. Like, this isn't working for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm missing something here. I notice, you know, you're upset about this. And there's a million different ways to approach it. But if you give people, if people have a way to frame it and then to, you know, I we do a lot of work with preparing for a hard conversation. Yes, like, yes. And can you name the breakdown for you? That's the game. And if you can name it, can you then give them an example that they can see it in? And yes. then, and then. Are you willing to let them know what happens for you when this occurs? Mm -hmm. And then are you willing to give them to account for your contribution, even though you're not to blame? You, you've you been going along with it somehow, or you haven't spoke up, but can you name your contribution? And then are you willing to think about what you're going to end up having over a long period of time if this continues? You know, it's like, but to get people in that thought, when they start thinking like that, all of a sudden they lighten up because they realize they they can get grounded. And even though it might get heated, they're going to have some preparation they can go back to to refocus the conversation and really make some headway in, in dealing with it. Because if it doesn't get dealt with, if there isn't some new possibility coming out of it, then the, that frustration is going to continue to build and eventually people turn over and teams go sour or they, they silo. They do all kinds of different things to accommodate the tension that they're unwilling or don't think is possible to resolve. It's, it's a crazy dynamic for yeah, sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When you have a difficult conversation, a lot of people say, I, I can't do that. And I think, yeah, you're not prepared. And so- when I talk to people about having difficult difficult conversations, if I were to break up how much time is spent in the conversation versus preparing, and maybe it's 90 to 10% split, you've got oh, to start de-escalating yourself. You've got to right get on. incredibly specific. Right because when you tell somebody else, you're making my life difficult, the person's going to be like, well, what do you mean? And you need to have at the ready, specific time and date of what it means for you. Not everybody thinks this. It doesn't matter. Even if everybody thinks it, what does it mean for you? And getting 
to a place and dealing with your emotions, recognizing them, naming them, preparing so that you can actually have a fruitful conversation and also preparing yourself to get curious. You don't know. You have made up a narrative, you know? know, And it's like you said, like one of my favorite phrases is to sit down and say, you know, I've been upset about a number of things that have been going on here in this situation, this whatever it is. And I, I just want to check in because I, I don't know why I'm getting upset. I'm not really clear. There's, I think I know, would you be open to listening to what I've got? Because I find myself shutting down or attacking you in my mind and not saying anything, not listening. And I'd like to get this clear. And I need, would you be willing to hear what I have to say and help me think through it? I mean, anything like that, like inviting people in to help you own your thoughts is a huge way to to kind of take the edge off the conversation and open up to learning what you may not know, which also will open up, they'll probably open up reciprocation, a reciprocation on the other party's part to look for their own, from their own point of view and see what they're doing that might trigger that. Oh, so, I love that so much because a lot of times when we think about having these conversations, I think if I go in a, you know, if I say this, they're going to get attacked. They're going to get defensive. Yeah. Yeah, right. probably. So we know this. So what is a way to speak your truth authentically, but own it and partner with them because we're looking for win-win restorative solutions at yes. work or in our home mm-hmm. life. If it's win-lose, everybody loses because you're yeah. still in this relationship, Boy, at home, right? At home, that's, you're <laughs> going to pay one way or another at home. That's right. And at work too. You know, my, I, I worked for a guy and he used to say, if you don't listen, people will find a way to tell you. And it'll be through their performance or lack of performance. Yeah, yeah, well, that's for sure. Wonderful. Yeah. I love this this um, AI that you're working on because it is so important for people to have their own vocabulary, to have what works for them. Yeah. And so, I have a little catchphrase that I use when I'm ready to have this conversation. But you've got to find that in for you. What feels authentic to your voice, and right. having something like this AI product you're working on that, that can bounce, people can try and they, you got to try it on and fit and see what works and feels comfortable in this uncomfortable situation, but finding your, your path. I think that's really nice. Yeah. I built a a lot of the frameworks I use into it. And the first one is to really clarify that breakdown. And the AI will ask you, if you put a breakdown, there's something you're working on It'll ask you all kinds of questions to get clear about it, and it'll restate it, and and then it'll ask you if you have anything to add. It won't go on until it gets clear mm-hmm. that it's in a, it's actually connected to you in the, and then it'll ask, do you want to go deeper into the inquiry, which go into your mindset, or do you want to go to a game plan? And unfortunately, a lot of people will take it into the game plan, and I always say, no, go into the mindset because eighty seven percent of the breakdowns cognitive. And it'll help you think through it. And it'll it'll question things you think you already know. So to your point, you'll start to de-escalate. I know for me, if I can get de-escalate my emotional state, I'm so much more of a resource to solve the problem than if I go in there with an axe to grind and, and I'm looking to, you know, make them wrong. That's going to polarize them. And then I'm going to think, well, you know, there's no use. I can't, I can't work here or I got to shut down. Right. That's why I think it's, so important to really explore if you are shutting down and if you don't feel there's space, it's really important to explore your own mindset first. So you can take a couple of the cuts and make sure you've covered everything before you move from there. 
So yeah, absolutely. Because so many times we have we, we tell ourselves the story, this narrative of what is going on, and we and then we end up saying, well, that person will never change, or that person is just selfish, or that person is narcissistic, and I can't change that. Yeah, that's not your job. We're not here changing personalities. But when we get specific, we can look at specific behaviors that we can say, this is not working for me, this specific behavior. And then you can have a conversation about a behavior, you know, and so that you can move forward. And so when you asked what causes conflict or, right, so we have this psychological, lack of psychological safety, but a lot of it is because of the breakdown of communication. I think I've communicated by just showing up because you're not being professional, right? Yeah. Uh, you're not doing, you're not, of course you should know this. Of course you should know you shouldn't talk over me. Of course you know you shouldn't roll your eyes. Of course I've said this to you. Or I sent an email or it's in your job description and we don't spend that time or really think about what communication is. It's not what I'm saying, but it's it's a it's a real partnership with what the other yeah. person is hearing and experiencing. Yeah, I've, I've been married now almost 45 years. And, and uh, we talk a lot about this. My wife's in the same business. She runs our coaching division. We've got multiple coaches and we, you know, we get into arguments and we've created kind of a, because, you know, contempt is the biggest danger. I think it's one, you know, you've seen the the four horsemen by John Gottman. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, you know, contempt um, is one of them. And, uh, you know, stonewalling, attacking those there's there's a, a there's a few things and contempt is is basically an expression of shame you know it it and shame is a racket it's a, it's a um, it's a strategy if you will it's designed to get me away from what i don't want to see in myself i don't want to take a look i cuz i i'm going to judge myself just like i'm judging the other person for doing what i think they're doing and so many times my wife and i well, we would get into an argument. And then as I listened to her, I would see, well, we're arguing about the same thing where she's feeling the way I'm feeling. So I wonder what I'm doing that's making that happen. And the minute I go there, all of a sudden she seems to calm down. Right. right? I, I was right. like, and I'm, I'll never forget one of the conversations we were having. This was years ago. We were even thinking about breaking up, right? We're thinking about splitting up. And she said, we sat down. I said, let's talk about how we're disconnected. So she went on and all the way she was disconnected. I'm thinking, well, she feels a lot like, so I did the same thing. And pretty soon we're laughing because we were connecting in the disconnection. We were actually having fun with it. So now we have these little cues that one of them she uses on me and she goes, oh, that's good. Because I tend to be a drama king and (laughs) he gets the camera out and and it breaks my state. And I end up laughing or we make a joke to one another. We have little things that kind of, help break the state so we can actually hear one another and stop taking ourselves so seriously, you know, and it's the contempt. Like when, if I roll my eyes, she goes, Oh, great. You just threw me across the room. Good thing. I, you know, I had a suit on. I didn't, you know, uh, you know, I was in a bubble, you know, something like that. Or, you know, or she'll look at me and she'll go like throwing me about the room. And we start laughing, right. Some way to anchor a state that's resourceful so can, we can reconnect like a bid for reconnection. And if you notice, whenever you get into a conflict, an argument, if the other person, you know, somebody's going to try to, has to make the first bid for peace. The first bid for peace is vulnerable, right? So if you and I are connected and we're in an argument and, and 
we've got a broken rapport and it's not good. We're isolating each other. And you make a bid for peace, like some invitation to sit down and talk or a hangout or, you know, just some kind of gesture that tells me you're open again. And I use that to hurt you. Then that can spin the conflict even deeper because here I am getting back at you for what I I think you've done to me or you have done to me. It could, you know, it doesn't matter. But if I can leave, remain open and take that bid, then the conflict stops there, or at least the the de deterioration of the trust stops there, and we can come back together, and then we can explore more, you know, wholesomely what we're dealing with. So Absolutely. My husband and I, uh, we've been married for almost 30 years and we have something similar. When um, when things are breaking down, we'll say, one of us will say, Team Brown. And it's a way to focus us back. We're all on the same team. You know, it's that's like, right. that's our mission. We are together. Wherever we go, we are together. Even oh, he's a philosopher good. and I'm a philosopher. And so sometimes we, or whatever about the dishes. And if I feel it, I'll say Team Brown. And it just, it's just like a switch or he'll say that to me. And it's like, oh, what the heck am I doing? That's right. We're together. We can still be, you know, whatever, but we're on the same team. We're going to the same mission. And so we are working together for each other. We are not against each other. And, you know, the more I take, like if we're arguing and you, you don't try to strike back, the more I trust you. Yeah. Right. Because then I go, wow. And, and I get convicted quickly if, if I well, take a swipe at you and you don't, it, it hits me it, every time. My wife will just kind of look at me and I can feel it inside. Like, oh, I, I'm such a cheap shot on this. Forgive me, would you? You know, and asking her to forgive me works. I mean, it, it, she gets it. She goes, okay, and then we can reestablish rather than retaliate, right? Where we both work at not re retaliating. And I, we found that, you know, as we've been together for many years, the 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 argument or the the bickering dies a lot quicker yeah. like we can go mm, stop let's just let's take a time out let's break let's laugh let's have some fun together yeah. you know breakdowns are always there anyway you can there's you know you, there's always another breakdown <laughs> that's with. right right that's right and one thing i think is concerning is what's going on in our workplaces in order to really effectively deal with conflict we have to connect with people at a human level and yeah. it seems to me that there's kind of two competing models and both of them are bad. One is I just show up for work. I don't need that water cooler talk. I don't need to go on this fun event and I don't need to do stuff that's non-spreadsheet work related with my colleagues. There's there's that model. And then the other model, which is, I think, I mean, just as equally destructive is we're a family here. And mm -hmm. so with the family, I think, you know, you get this sort of, you know, toxic positivity and just a lot of weird dynamics go along. Yeah. And so I think what we really need to try to establish is what does it mean to be a collegial? What is a good working relationship? Because when we lay that foundation, it's not about I need to go have drinks with you afterwards or because right. you don't have to like, you know, you don't want to no. have to be, be best friends with everyone you work with. Right but, on. You, right but on. you need to be able to treat them with dignity and respect, respect what they're doing and be able to work together in a collegial right manner. On. And if you do that, you have laid the foundation to have psychological safety. You have laid the foundation to do to have dif the willingness to have those difficult conversations. Yeah. But it's yeah. like but we don't spend time really thinking about what is a human person at work. How do yeah, human relationships work? 
And that that's that's a big deal. I mean, we do a lot of culture work with the startups we work with. We've worked with some pretty high profile startups and uh, you know, Elon Musk company spin-offs and so on, and Richard Branson companies that have started. And we found that, that you know, especially if it's an engineering-based company, they have that mindset where it's very transactional. Mm-hmm. And you know. People don't share information. Like if I'm struggling with something and I don't know you, I don't know how I can trust you. I'm probably going to hide the things I'm struggling with. So you don't use them on me. But if I know you, if I respect you, I don't have to like you, but if I respect the fact that you're committed to this vision, like I am, and that together we want to see this team win because we both get how we win when the team wins then I'm going to be open to having conversations that will help me trust you enough to be able to open up and share what I'm struggling with, get your eyes on it and have it work out. You know, first time, whenever I see teams siloed, I know trust is the issue. Trust, you know, when you say psychological safety, that's what I equate. Like I can trust that you and I can argue and you're going to be there with me. You're not going to use things against me. You're not going to try to pigeonhole me, but you're going to respect me enough to use ideas and words that will be relevant to what we're doing together. And you're going to hold that. That takes some, and you got to work at that because these are perishable skills. If you don't do it, you lose it. (laughs) I love that perishable. Yeah. You people want to go to a conflict resolution training and it's like, check off, you know, the the mark, I did this. It's like, absolutely not. Conflict resolution and having a good culture is intentional, sustained effort. Every day. Every day. There's no sliding. If you slide, then you're going to have problems. Especially when you don't feel like it. That's when when it's most important. I mean, I notice whenever I blow up my marriage or a team relationship, it's when I'm in a bad mood. I haven't, you know, I'm not taking care of myself. I haven't got my mind right. And I'll just react. And then I spend days or weeks cleaning up that reaction. And so now when I find myself in that kind of mood, instead of putting it in charge, I put somebody else in charge and get that cleared up. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like who's in charge of my life today? That's a big deal. (laughs) Absolutely. I just don't understand at all why every organization doesn't have like an ombuds or some sort of, you know, somebody who's coming in and intentionally paying attention to culture in this really um, efficacious empowerment training way, because it is so cost effective. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing to me that you spend a little bit of money to hire somebody or people and you 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 really encourage and expect that people are going to deal with their own conflict and you have resources for when they're having an issue, how much money and and headache they would save and how much innovation and this whole quiet okay. quitting, it happens because people aren't being attended to. And oh, those poor right. middle managers, they get promoted and they're not trained and they're not supported. It just seems, I know, cause I do this for a living, but it seems so clear to me how much human heartache and human toil, which I'm most interested in, we would say, but then the dollars are just, you know, Society mm-hmm. of Human Resource Management says the US spends over $40 billion a year on conflict. An unmanaged conflict, you know. Yeah, that's a good forty billion a year conflict. Yeah, I gotta get that yeah. I'll send it to you. Gallup says it's closer to one point two trillion dollars a year in the yeah. U.S. Please do to, send it to me. Yeah, I'll send that to you. That, that that's that's intense. Well, I, I know it's a lot because 
I mean, I, we make a living doing it. And if you're effective, you get, I mean, we get so many referrals. It, it's amazing because people get, you know, organizations get stuck. And nowadays you can't afford, if you're a zombie organization, and I saw a statistic by Harvard, at the, in 2000, only 2% of the companies were zombie, you know, meaning they needed finance to survive. Today it's twenty seven percent. So so that that's going to hit the fans somewhere, and that's really a result. I mean, if you think about it, why we keep getting funding because we don't want to deal with the issues, we don't want to face the breakdown now, so we end up paying with penalties and interest later on. Yeah, and oftentimes the companies go down because of it. Yeah, and it's just sad. Yeah, and it's the same thing with workers. You know, we know stress is a killer, a, a literal killer. We know, you know, so the physical and psychological harm from unmanaged conflict at work spill. Then people are talking about it when they go home, and that spills yeah. into their families and then to their communities. And um, my one of my goals, it's a maybe a little naive, but it's still my goal is that, you know, we have this little big election coming up, and you know, there's lots of contentiousness. But in work environment, it doesn't matter what your politics are, what your religion no. is. We're going no, towards not. the same goal, right? This is our mission. And so we have to use our words if we're going to be effective. We need to know how to um, communicate well and how to argue well and fruitfully and respectfully. And so if we can empower people at work and give them the tools and expect for them to deal with their problems, mm. then they're going to be trained that way is a habit, right? These are good habits. Then they do that at home, and then they do that in their community. And oh, so you, you hit it that on the head. That's if the you know look work ought to be a place that contributes to the rest of your life. Yeah, and and you know that's not going to happen if I don't do it myself. If I don't take charge and own that myself, it doesn't matter where I'm at in the org chart. Yeah, it matters because people begin to respect that you're going to talk and deal with the issues that are most important. You know, I remember reading. It was a business book by a, a CEO, a famous CEO. He said, how I know I've had a good day is that I look back and see how many difficult conversations I've navigated successfully. That that I, I know that, the, that where the company moves, when I directly address the issues that are most important, but also they're conflicted. They usually are conflicted. And any and any leader, I think, knows that when you implement something, it may correct the problem, but it's going to open up five or six others. And and one of the things we come up against, and we've had you know a lot of clients ask, how do we know which problems to deal with first? And and I the answer is really simple. When they hear it, they go, "What?" They go, "Yeah, you just you look up and you say, there's only three problems. There's only three kinds of problems. There's a normal problem." There's an abnormal problem, and there's a a pathological problem, and and you want to deal with the abnormal and pathological. Well, how do you understand those? Well, you have to understand the context. That's why there's no you can't be dogmatic about this. You have to look at what the context is. So, if you have a business, you're you're a, a entrepreneur or a solopreneur. It doesn't you know you've got a small team and you're working. You look up and let's say you've been in business for a year and you're having cash flow problems. Well, that's a normal problem, right? But if you've been in business for seven years and you're having cash flow problems, that's abnormal and it could be pathological, but that's one I'm going to want to look at, right? So I've got to take the context, look at the context, say which problems are abnormal 
and they were those and that's the ones you want to gravitate to and normally that's going to bring up problems you've been trying to avoid right, right? I, so. I really like that framing and this whole context specific you know you can talk about the basic um, good practices in dealing with conflict but conflict is always specific it's always oh, particular. always right on always right on. and yeah. if you miss that if you See, we tend to think other people's conflict is petty or whatever yeah. we want to ascribe to it. But it's all about the individual, their their own context and their background and what they see. And, and it's particular. So we can teach people skills, but it's never in the abstract. You solve nothing in the aspect. It's time and place particular to the organization or the person. Right on. Uh, yeah, that's great. It, it is. And if you can get to that, I, I, I always say, look, we're not going to solve this till we get to the particulars, to the details. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's in the details. Like yes. when you get to the details, you find out what people are really thinking. Yes. And that's why it's people so stay true. generally. It's a strategy. If I can generally talk about the breakdown, I don't have to connect to my investment or upset about it. Yeah. But we actually want to get there. We do want to get to yeah. that upset. And we yeah, want to get right, words right. on it. Like you said, we want to get words on it so you can we can get some insight and see possibility you may not be seeing because, you know, most possibility initially presents itself as a threat because it's outside your comfort zone. A new possibility is always outside your comfort zone. So it's going to feel a little uncomfortable or it's going to be threatening depending on the level of its demand or call, you know, what prices, you know, you're going to probably have to pay to get to it. Absolutely. And I, well, you never take the difficulty out of conflict. It just is. If it's if it's a difficult yeah. conversation, it is for you. So, but I do think the more particular you get, the more the person can see how it can be solved. And so the more likely they are to do it because you can't yeah. solve big problems. You only solve specific things. And yeah. so the small more specific, thing. the small, it's actually, oh, doable. It's manageable. Maybe right I can on. have that conversation and then it's a habit. The more you do it, like the the business person you talked about, if you're in a habit of doing it and you're looking for it, it's not that you take the sting out of it, but you no. build confidence and a, you're willing to do these things. Well, there's a proverb that goes, faithful in the little, rulers of much, yeah. right? So, you know, a rudder turns a ship. So if you get to the little things that are really vital, you can make you can begin to make a huge difference. Yeah. But it's getting to those little things that are matter. And you're right on, man. It's just, it's chunking down to what the specifics are. Yeah. And that's the most, and the more uncomfortable you get, the better. It's like, it's, you got to be willing to say, kind of change your relationship to your emotions because a, feeling uncomfortable is a green light. Oh, we must be getting close. When it gets dark, the sun must be coming soon, right? It's like, can I hold in and continue to put words on this and listen and in, inquire and get keep the mission in front of me? I mean, there's, things you can do, fundamentals that'll keep you, uh, that'll help you locate the possibility for action. And I think you, what you said was powerful is when people see that there's another way to do it, they're anxious to go back after it. Yeah. They're, they're willing to go again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, I think about, you know, what bothers a lot of people, right? And it's these, these little tiny things. We're so sensitive. We have like these little feelers out and that, <laughs> I was not asked to lunch. I was left off this email. Yeah. And we're like, we hand wave at it, but we ought not. And th the thing is, those are the things that can be solved. And then the person feels restored. They do want me. We're always looking to see yeah. if we're valued. 
And we see that in the everyday particular. Yeah. And that's exactly right. That's where it's got to be addressed. And it solves so many things. We pay attention to human person. Yeah. You know, if you ask yourself why you're upset, I do it all the time. Why am I so pissed off here? Why am I so edgy? Well, you know, it usually gets down to not what's being done. It's what I'm making up about what's being done. And if I can look at what I'm making up, I can go investigate. Is is that true? Or what else could be as true or truer? You know, I love Byron Katie's work. She's great at breaking down those things. And I use that framework quite a bit. Like, I wonder what could be as true as what I'm making up. What might even be truer than this? That could open up a new possibility. That's right? right. And that is what shuts us down when we spin the narrative for somebody else. And we decide that's the truth because, of course, it's the truth. Right and we're dogmatic about it. But there are a variety of ways. And I think when we kind of get out of the truth business, I mean, there are objective facts. But, yeah. you know, it. I don't have to have the other people look at the way the world the way I do or the circumstance. Oh. But I can still move forward. You know, I, I'm doing a mediation in South Africa between a Toza, two tribes, tribal leaders, the business thing, some land was a, a Zulu and a, and, a, and a Toza. And the Toza, they're very matter, they're very bottom line, to the point, get it done. And the Zulu, very more metaphorical. Like, so the Toza would say, look, man, I want to sit down and talk about this property, but, you know, you keep, you know, why won't you do this? And the Zulu would say, you know, we live in a family, in a community, and like a lion's pride, we must know each other and blah, blah. And and so, and then the Toza would get upset and say, why are you avoiding me? And the the Zulu would say, well, you are, you're rude. You know, you're, you're, you don't have any respect for me. So I, I remember stopping it. And I remember pointing out to them, I said, do you notice that you're lit? You know, I, I told the Toza, I think it's awesome that you argue as if you're right. Yadu. Now I've got I can I invite you to something, another thing as well. He goes, he says, Well, what is that? I said, Would you listen like you could be wrong? Like argue like you're right, but listen as if you could be wrong. And he smiled. He said, Okay. Now I said, What did you make up about what he said? He's trying to avoid me. I said, Are you willing? to listen as if that could, you, there might be something you're not seeing. And as we got in, as he started to see, I said, look, you guys come from different cultures. There's, you speak to the point, you respect honesty and to the point. You don't get that the way he's being honest, he speaks more metaphorically. And now you want him to come to you and you, he wants you to come to him. And both of them saw it and they started to relax. And then he, the, I know Satoza would ask for definitions of what he was talking about, which cleared a lot of the space up. And we resolved the breakdown that they had been arguing about for almost three weeks. Wow. Right. And then one day and, and really in about an hour and a half done. And then they together walked out and went to the, the notary of Repu you know, to get the notary done and get the thing done. And, and it was just simple to listen to what they were doing and how often do we expect other people to, to use our vernacular or I know I do, I go through this a lot, particularly, you know, with my, you know, when my daughter was younger, trying to understand her, she spoke a different language. And when I started letting myself learn her language, it opened up a whole new relationship with her. So I, I think that's real common, that kind of, that kind of speaking past each other. Yeah. I love that. That's a wonderful example. And to this point of listening, you know, what does it really mean to listen? 
you know, to present yourself and to have your own uh, robust ideas and argument. But then what does it mean to listen, to really give somebody that gift, to yeah. try to embody their world and their language and their perspective? But so many times we're reticent. We think if I do that, I'm giving in or I'm saying they're right instead of, no, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means I want to listen to understand that deep, active listening, which yeah. is hard, but it's a skill that can be learned if you practice it. Yeah, exactly. Because if you even if you you're good at it, if you don't practice it, pretty soon you'll lose that that elasticity. You'll get very narrow in it, and that's the good news about practicing it. And then that's the good news about pursuing the breakdowns or the conflicts, you know, as they arise. That's so. right. I've got a lot of questions for you. Oh my goodness gracious. And I feel like time is about to run out. So will you tell us about a time that you had a conflict at some place that you worked and how did you deal with it? Man, let me think about it. I've had quite a few. Um, think of a good one. Uh, yeah, I got one. So I had a guy that was running my running a company for me and um, he was running it into the ground. And I, I remember it had been a year. And uh, when I turned the company over to him, we had a, a surplus of cash, you know, good cash flow and money in the bank. And he came in and made some adjustments that he thought were relevant, were going to work. And they weren't working. And he continued to put the pedal down on it. And I'll never forget, I went to him one time and asked him about it. And he he actually asked me, we were in a, a meeting with a, 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 step, a, couple, a group of leaders and he asked me what I thought about the situation. And I was to the point. I just said, I, I think you're, you're not paying attention to results. You notice that since you've made this change, it's going downhill. You haven't made a good story about, you know, you haven't given me any reason to think it's going to change. So I think really the issue is first recognizing where we are. After that meeting came out, he read me the riot act. You know, you you disrespected me in front of people, you know, and I and like that. And I asked, I said, well, how is that? Well, now they, you know, they they're going to look to you. I said, you you realize you asked me for my thoughts? But yes, I did. I said, so then we were pretty heated, and I never I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'll shut up and what you go ahead and drive this thing into the tank, and then maybe you'll listen. And about a week later, I came back to him and I said, you know what? I have to confess something I lied to you because, you know, I said, okay, no problem, but there is a problem. I still think you're running this into the tank. And the reason I backed off is because, you know, it, it felt in my mind, and I'm not saying you did this. I told him I, I made this up that you weren't open to what I had to say and that you didn't really mean you wanted my opinion when you asked it, because after I gave it, you got upset. So I want you to know I, Maybe I, I think it was my part on this is the way I gave it was charged because I've been holding on to it. So please forgive me for that. And I want you to know what I said I still think is true. And I think we ought to explore that. And I, I, I know that if we don't do it, I'm afraid of where we're going to end up. I think this is where we're going to end up. We're going to exhaust the nut, you know, the, the cash we have in reserve which is going to hurt our ability to invest in the future because what you're investing in isn't bringing a return. You know, you can see that in the numbers. And I'd love to explore with you how we can get that turned around. Would you be open to that? And he was wide open to it, but I, it took me because I'm, I, you know, like I came out of the street, so I'm a little vindictive. That's one of my rackets. And I, I remember sitting in bed that night thinking, 
the night before I had this conversation, I need to sit down and prepare because, and, have, and have a conversation with him. Because right now I'm just being a gangster. I'm just waiting for him to blow himself up. And that's not going to do good for anybody. Right. You know? So I, you know, I had to go eat some crow and get off of my high horse and own how I contributed to it. And, but stay on what I still believed was true. Yeah. And it opened up a ton for him. And for me too, I learned how to get side by side with him because he's kind of a prickly pear and he, he, but he's kind of withheld, right? You don't, he's a real nice guy, but then when he gets, he'll come back and be upset. So we explored that. I said, I can hold that. I, in fact, I want you to, as early as possible, if you think I'm being a jerk, tell me. Like, no, don't wait. Don't try to invite me in and then smack me. <laughs> it's like, that ain't going to work. And he gave me some ideas about how to deal with him. And, and uh, it worked out, worked out well. What a wonderful example of a variety of things that we've been talking about. Self-awareness. Being a self-aware leader doesn't mean being perfect. Nobody is perfect. And that's a part of being self-aware, right? <laughs> you know. And so being self-aware, when we make mistakes, addressing them. And what did you do? You built trust, right? Mm -hmm. By doing that, you were able to do something else because he could now trust you, even though it was born out of this difficult situation. But instead of just letting it explode, <laughs> that doesn't help. As you said, well, it doesn't I mean, help anybody. In, in the middle of our argument afterwards, right? He, he, One of the things he had said to me really stuck with me. He goes, you know, you're an arrogant asshole sometimes. You think you know everything. And I, my wife has said that to me a few times. So when I, that stuck with me. So that was, was in my craw. And I thought, well, let's say he's right about this when like when where was i being arrogant and i noticed when i had told him what i said i was pretty charged like i said because i sat on it and i could see how he heard my edge as mm -hmm. arrogance it probably was because i'm protecting what i'm afraid of right i'm afraid so now i'm arrogant and my wife says that to me you get arrogant when you're afraid and that, that really helped all that feedback helped because then i could go okay i need to get you know otherwise you know, I'm just going to let this thing go in the tank and I'm going to be right and not get what I really want. You right. know, so. Yeah. He who dies with all the toys wins, right? You know, it's, right. you know, <laughs> you won, but what did you win? <laughs> well, Dan, so my last question for you before we end is when you think, look into the future of work, what do you think needs to happen so that all people um, not only are treated with dignity and respect, but are encouraged to thrive and flourish? Good question. You know, if to thrive is distinct from being happy. So I want to get that clear. Absolutely. Right? Thrive is distinct. You may or may not be happy along the way, but to thrive means to have meaning. And to have meaning, one has to be willing to confront their lies. You know, it's an internal thing. And and uh I, I wish I could be more, you know, more positive, but it's like, if I'm aware of my own lies, the lies I tell myself about the world around me, like that, what I, the lie I was telling myself about the guy I was working with, the lie I tell myself sometimes about myself or what's possible and keep an eye on, keep an eye on that lie. You know, what that's going to produce is meaning because I'm going to get clear about, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice or give up my need to look good feel good, be right, or be in control in order to have something bigger than me turn out. And that produces meaning. And if there's meaning, people who share meaning don't give up, right? If what you and I are working on is we we constantly reinforce what it means to us, 
both collectively and personally, we're going to be much better for each other. And I, I, I believe that's in, and in a day and age where transact, it's becoming more and more transactional. That's why I work really hard with my AI to build humanity into it. And it's a tool to support humanity. But the more we use technology, the more interpersonal uh, and the more it's going to become, the more, more important interpersonal relationships going to become. So that, that for me is what, what's going to do it. And I've got to be aware of me. I've got to be aware of who I'm putting in charge when I go sit down and talk with someone. That's an excellent answer. I love that so much. Well, Dan, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been just an absolute pleasure. Oh, my pleasure, Mary. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Dan, thank you so much for that wonderful conversation. It's so energizing to talk to somebody who is doing this kind of work and really caring about the health of individuals and of organizations. I appreciate so much your perspective and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be listening to this podcast several times to, to really listen back to, to what you have said. Very encouraging. Thank you, Dan. Conflict Managed is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. If you haven't had a chance to check out my new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, it's 80 tips of what not to do at work and starts a conversation of what to do instead in order to have healthy organizations. You can find it on Amazon. Come back. We have new episodes every Tuesday. Our music is courtesy of Duff Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.